Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob Barr. I'm here with Mark Lippelman, and we're going to be talking about Alliance Defending Freedom and the work that Mark and his team are doing to try and, well, trying to defend pregnancy clinics and trying to help us navigate abortion in across 50 states as we're in a new era that is now post-Roe and in the Dobbs era. So, so Mark, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team podcast. Um, would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a small group of pregnancy clinic leadership teams? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jacob, for having me. It's nice to talk to everyone. So my name is Mark Lippelman. I'm a senior counsel here at Alliance Defending Freedom. I've worked on a church and litigation, a church litigation team, uh, but a couple of years ago was privileged to join our Center for Life, which is ADF's um, operation that protects unborn life. Uh, that includes efforts to overturn Roe, which we recently saw, um, protecting and defending pro-life laws around the country, but also um, protecting and defending those on the front lines who are doing uh, this important work. So that includes pregnancy centers. Um, it includes physicians and healthcare workers who have conscientious objections uh, to to providing or, or referring for abor abortions, uh, especially in states that require that. And so uh, we're privileged to do all of that work. It includes you know, free exercise, uh, it includes free speech. Um, there's so many elements to it, uh, but it, it really is the most important work that we can do. Awesome. So what are your thoughts on the legal outlook that we are currently in when it comes to being in a and I post well, and essentially with Roe being overturned and Dobbs being the new, uh, yeah, in the new Dobbs era, what are your thoughts on our current legal outlook? Yeah, there is so much to be hopeful and thankful for, um, and there are still challenges ahead. But the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs was such a monumental and tremendous victory, not only for unborn children, uh, but for pregnant women and for those who serve them. And so this, the Supreme Court rightly held that the Constitution simply does not and never did include a right to kill innocent human life. And so it, it's very important um, and wonderful that now states are free to have these conversations that they've been impeded from having for decades. And they can uh, do what they can and what, what people and their elected representatives have clearly intended to do in protecting unborn life um, and also going out of their way to serve women who find themselves in difficult situations. Hmm. So, yeah. And so, the, yeah, so now we have uh, 50 states for, you know, for ADF and for legal groups to consider. How have you um, prioritized or how have you decided where to spend your time and how to keep up with all of the different, um, I guess, yeah, states and state laws? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's it's both a, both a blessing and a curse that, ever, that the issue goes back to the states. And so all of a sudden, like you said, there are 50 jurisdictions. Um, we even see municipalities will pass ordinances. And so it gets, you know, very granular. And so we're, we're looking all the time at new laws that are being proposed, even ordinances proposed uh, in certain municipalities. But you know, it, it was easy in the beginning because 
there are a number of states that had laws on the books. Uh, they were called trigger laws um, or contingent laws. And they basically said, if Roe versus Wade is overruled, or if the states are ever permitted to address abortion again, um, then this is what we would want to happen. And they would have some life you know, uh, protecting provisions. And so when the Supreme Court issued its Dobbs decision overturning Roe, a lot of these laws just came into effect automatically. And then abortion advocates sued and said they were unconstitutional, um, either under the state constitutions or something like that. So, so our work was cut out from us from the very beginning, just defending some of those laws. Um, and also there are laws that were on the books uh, to protect life, but that had been enjoined or blocked from being enforced under Roe. And with Roe gone, um, there's now no longer any impediment. And so we were able to, to go into some of these states and file motions and briefs um, and successfully revive and resurrect these laws uh, that help to protect human life. Hmm. So which areas um, are you currently working on or do you feel like you yeah, you feel empowered to be able to speak, uh, speak to. Yeah, well, one really great example recently, the people of North Carolina passed a law protecting life at 20 weeks gestation, um, which that's a modest law considering uh, other things out there. It's, it's significantly more modest than the law the Supreme Court itself upheld in the Dobbs decision, which was the Mississippi law protecting life at 15 weeks. And so that North Carolina law had been blocked from being enforced under Roe. Um, and then when when Dobbs was issued and Roe is no longer an impediment, we're thinking, okay, well, well, the people wanted this, the representatives voted for it and passed it, but it's it's still enjoined. And the attorney general there was unwilling to act for political reasons to revive the law. And so Alliance Defending Freedom was privileged to work with some legislators um, to file some briefs. And sure enough, the, the court ruled that there's no longer an impediment um, that can keep that law from being enforced. So that happened there in, in my home state of, or the, the state of where I'm at now in Arizona. Um, Alliance Defending Freedom was privileged to participate in that case as well, um, helping to protect or to defend our, um, a law that defends life at 15 weeks gestation and even another pre-row law that uh, protected life completely. So, so you're in, so you're in Arizona. So it seems like Arizona has had a bit of a, we've, had, we've had a lot of changes in Arizona recently, where after Roe uh, in Pima County, there was the law from, I'm not sure if it was 1860 or 1901. I've heard both being cited. Can you tell me, tell us the story about the law from over a over hundred years ago and what, you know, and where we might have gone since then? Sure. Well, um, this is a yeah. story we're seeing in states across the country. And so in general, states and people, and, and the Supreme Court cites this history in the Dobbs decision itself, going back to common law in England that the states and the colonies adopted, uh, there have just been laws in every state protecting life. It's a, an unbroken chain of trying to protect life to the greatest degree possible. And so that was the case in Arizona, just as an example. Uh, even before Arizona was a state, it had territorial laws that protected life. Uh, 
you know, once it became a state, they protected life all the way up until Roe in the 70s. They they wanted to protect life. And even after then, they they would pass laws and say, you know, we we want to protect life to the greatest degree possible. And so the law that that was just the state of the law in Arizona. Um, then leading up to the Dobbs decision, Arizona passed a new statute, a new law that protected life at 15 weeks gestation, but specifically said, you know, we want to protect life completely and, and nothing about this 15 week protection should be read to, to surpass or uh, eclipse the, the law that protects life completely to the extent that's able to be upheld. And so, um, of course, abortion advocates sued and said, hey, the, the state constitution, you know, now that there's no federal right to abortion as recognized by the Supreme Court in Dobbs, they're saying, oh, maybe maybe the state constitution of Arizona uh, protects a uh, right to abortion, even though it's nowhere mentioned. Um, and even though the people of Arizona have consistently rejected abortion um, at all times, they were able. And so we're seeing that story happen across the country in different states. Um, and so, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing to follow, uh, a very interesting time to be part of this work. Yeah, it, it seems like, yeah, so uh, uh, I think it was two weeks ago when that law from, well, 1800s, 1860 or 1901, whichever it was, um, when that law ended up um, being enacted in Pima County and then it sounds like uh, a few days ago it might have been might have had an injunction placed on it. I'm not quite sure. Um, but when it comes to a, one of those older laws being reinstated, is the opposition are they sometimes placing an injunction by a judge to try and like stop enforcement of one of those laws? Is that something that's that's happening? Yeah, so all across the country, as soon as a pro-life law goes into effect, abortion advocates will strike and, and they'll file a lawsuit and they'll say, hey, our state constitutional right, we, we want the court to find uh, or manufacture a state constitutional right to abortion since they can no longer look to the federal constitution. And so they'll, they'll ask a court for an injunction, or which is essentially just an order that prevents enforcement of the law. And so in, in Arizona, even though the courts have upheld and allowed enforcement of pro-life laws, we're seeing abortion advocates, they just will refuse to take a loss and will try to, to work around that. And so one example um, that is pretty grotesque that we're seeing is abortion providers and clinics and doctors in California and other states are providing telehealth appointments to people in Arizona, um, having them go get an ultrasound, and then prescribing them abortion drugs and shipping those drugs to a California border, a border town between California and Arizona, and then advising the patient to drive to the border town, take the first pill that starts the process, and then drive back to Arizona and take the second pill um, that will likely complete the process, kill the child, and end the pregnancy. And so um, that's unconstitutional. It's it's a violation of Arizona law in multiple ways. Um, but we're seeing a lot of efforts to circumvent pro-life laws in that way. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea of one state 
supporting an you know an action that's illegal in another state seems to be what California is doing in several states currently. Yeah, that's right. Um, and oh, go ahead. No, no, that was it. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean that's a difficulty with different states addressing this issue and having this conversation. Um, but you know, we're also finding things many people even the, in the pro-life community weren't aware of um, just because Roe and Casey kept us from being able to protect life in many cases. And so um, a really good example, there is there are multiple laws on the books, federal laws that prohibit the shipping, mailing, international movement or interstate movement of abortion drugs. That's just prohibited by federal law, but those laws weren't enforced while Roe and Casey were in effect. Now that they're not in effect, you know, these books, the, the, the laws are still on the books. They shouldn't be, these drugs should not be sent. And, and as you likely know, abortion drugs are, are accounting every year. They make up more and more of the number of abortions that are occurring. And this is a situation where people are, are trying to ship abortion drugs into states that have protected life. Um, so essentially trying to use the anonymity of postal mail or of UPS or any a common carrier um, in order to, to circumvent and get abortion into states uh, that protect life. And so, um, yeah, it, we're, we're seeing a lot of efforts in a lot of ways uh, where abortion advocates are trying to be creative to circumvent the law. Um, but it's very clear that, that that's unlawful, both at a federal and a state level. So uh, as you were saying that, I'm just imagining uh, if there's like a, if there's been like a pro-life sting operation when it comes to ordering the uh, abortion drug from these people who are selling them online in order to have it shipped to a state where it's illegal. And I'm wondering if the post office would be able to like, you know, put a block on certain mail from certain, because that'd be pretty hard, I guess. They could drop it off in a, in a public, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's actually pretty hard to stop mail from a certain source. That's a hard thing to do. I guess it's really hard to enforce a law that's saying don't mail these drugs. Um, I mean, the same thing would be true for like any, any illegal substances that would cross borders. And I, it's just, um, I guess, it, I guess if someone did order uh, the abortion pill from these sources and then it arrived, then they could possibly have a, a, a lawsuit. But then again, there's other countries involved or it's across state lines at least, but probably more other countries. Um, what are the, what are the possible responses legally to someone who is shipping drugs illegally? Would it be a civil action or possibly other actions that could be taken? Well, I mean, that is that's kind of the frontier of where things are happening right now. And so those are those are issues that that we and others are looking into. But I mean, we know, as you mentioned, you know, illegal drugs are are shipped and either the Postal Service or, or others, U.S. like um, Borders and Customs are able to to stop some of that. And so it is possible. I know. I mean, I know it presents some difficulties, but it is possible Um and I mean, sometimes there are women who, you know, I've, I've known of a situation where someone ordered the drugs, was able to get them in a state that, that doesn't allow abortion and decided 
you know, I don't want to go through with this and, and told, um, you know, a, a pro-life advocate and, and they, you know, shared this story that it is possible and it is happening um, that these drugs are being shipped into pro-life states. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, it seems, it seems very frustrating because that's the number. Well, I think it's more than half of all abortions are the, the medic, the medication version of the, you know, using the abortion pill or RU46 compared to the surgical abortion procedure. And it seems like the laws are really, are good. It's stopping or preventing or greatly slowing the surgical abortions from taking place. But the medicated abortions are more difficult to um, restrict. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, there are laws on the books that make that non-mailable. It makes it a criminal offense um, to ship them. And so that is, that is some, that's one thing that we know that the federal government can do is enforce its own laws on the books. Um, and so that, that's a, at a minimum, something that I'd like them to, to do. Yeah. What, are, what, what happens when that abortion pill is being shipped from another country? Um, is there any response outside of civil action? And what does civil action look like in that scenario? Yeah, so we do know that one of the biggest providers of abortion pills in the United States, it's an organization called Aid Access. So there's an abortion advocate, uh, doctor in Austria, Vienna, Austria, um, and she's been an abortion advocate in Europe and elsewhere in the world, um, but set up this aid access organization to try to get abortion drugs more available in the United States. And so um, she prescribes from Vienna, Austria and a pharmacy in another country then ships to the United States. I mean, that's not only a violation of the, the laws that I meant, the criminal laws that I mentioned before um, that we have in the United States. Um, but it may implicate even international treaties and things like that. And so uh, mm. it becomes a complicated issue. But in terms of, you know, there, there are criminal laws. And, and also, I mean, sometimes there are complications uh, when women have, when they take these abortion pills, there can be bleeding, there can be other complications. And as I mentioned, in the case with a California doctor who has, a, you know, an Arizona resident pick up the drugs on the border and then take them home and take them without supervision. Uh, I mean, it's just dangerous for women. It shows, um, I mean, it's a stark reminder that not only is there no care or consideration of the unborn child, um, but that the abortion advocates aren't really caring as much for the women and their health and safety, um, that they're not, you know, they're not making sure that they're okay, that, that there are no complications, etc. Yeah, and without the in-person care, uh, who's to say that the you know it's you know the woman who's calling or ordering it is the one who's actually taking it? There's a lot of um, unknowns when it comes to remote care and mailing things overseas without any actual client relationship. Yeah, and um, I mean this highlights one area that I did want to mention, which this is not only I mean we're we're trying to protect life, um, but it's also a good reminder not just to make abortion illegal, but to make it unthinkable and for the pro-life cause um, to show how much more we care about children and women and families, um, even, you know, the fathers in the situation, 
than the abortion advocates do. And so that's why we're trying to help those who are on the front lines helping women, including pregnancy centers. And so we've seen a concerted effort across the country, especially in a few states um, like Connecticut and Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, to shut down completely um, or to muzzle pregnancy centers. And, you know, it's like, well, if we can, if, if we can shut down those who are simply trying to hand out diapers, car seats, you know, those who are there just to say, hey, we're here with you. You don't have to do this alone. There's plenty of help for you. Um, they want even those people, volunteers, um, to be shut down. And so it's a stark reminder of, you know, this is the time for us to step up and help um, and to show how different we are and how much we care about children and women. Yeah, I, I equate it to like the anti-smoking anti campaign, which might say, you know, we are here to try and help you stop smoking and to avoid smoking because of the harms that come from it. I feel like the pregnancy clinic movement is, is very similar to that by trying to help people who have had an abortion find hope and healing, helping those who are seeking one to find a decision that they're going to appreciate for decades and to avoid the, the, the damage and the harm that can, that's irreversible from an abortion. And, and so I think, yeah, essentially trying to help, help people find true health, complete health, not just for themselves, but for their, their offspring and for their families. Um, it's just, it's holistic. It's whole, a whole women health, whole men health. And, and, uh, and I just feel like the abortion is a, a tool to destroy while the life-giving pregnancy clinics and pro-life friends are promoting healthy decisions and healthy lifestyles and, and, you know, long-term healthy decisions. That's absolutely right. And so Alliance Defending Freedom has, there's one case um, that we were forced to file in, in the state of Connecticut, where, you know, we, we are proud to represent a pregnancy center there um, who is operating, helping women and children daily. And then Connecticut passes a law that um, it, it's ba basically aimed at muzzling and chilling the speech of pregnancy centers. And so they say, if you say something that we deem to be misinformation about abortion, you know, if you characterize the risks of abortion um, in a way that they think is wrong, um, then they'll call you deceptive and they'll shut you down. They'll penalize you. And so well, while that bill was being proposed, somebody asked the question, hey, here's a flyer. It says, are you pregnant? Do you need help? Question mark. And they said, I is that deceptive for a pregnancy center to offer help with a pregnancy if the help that they provide doesn't include abortion? And the attorney general who's supposed to be enforcing that law is like, oh, yes, that's that's deceptive. Um, and so clearly mm -hmm. just simple statements that are out there to try to provide help and even simple resources to women for free, um, you know, they're trying to shut those people down. Yeah, I, I feel like women feel like they have no choice and that abortion is their only choice because of the way that the way that things are set up. And I, I don't think Planned Parenthood is pushing choice. I think they're pushing abortion. And I think pregnancy clinics are looking to help people make an informed decision that will be a, a choice that they will appreciate for, for years to come and generations to come. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so the the pregnancy centers that, that I've represented, that I've been in contact with, um, you know, they don't shy away from the fact that abortion is one of several options that a, a woman has in that situation, um, you know, but they give full and complete facts about the risks that are involved, um, the reality involved, that there is a unique human being um, that they aren't considering whether to become a parent, that they already are a parent. Um, you know, those, yeah. just those simple realities, but those are precisely the realities um, that abortion advocates, like you said, they pro-choice is a, is a poor moniker uh, because the choice to, to keep in your child and become a parent and accept free help from the community who's standing there ready to help um, that that's a choice that they would prefer that we not make. Awesome. Well, Mark, I really enjoyed talking with you and I appreciate your time and your intellect and also really appreciate you working so hard and diligently to support life and, uh, uphold, uh, pregnancy clinics and freedom so that we can continue to work towards a more, well, work, work towards having abortion become unthinkable in the future. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much for being on here today. Yeah, thank you. It's it's the most fundamental right we have. It's the right on which everything else hinges. Um, and it's the most important work we, sh we can do. Um, so thank you to you and to all your listeners too um, for all the work that you do on this important cause. Our sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and iRapture.com. The Pro-Life Team Podcast is a ministry of iRapture.com. If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team. Shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall not be alone. He makes me lie down in green. He leads me by quiet blue. Yeah, the walk through darkness, darling, you are me, I need your protection, guidance, a comforting me.